Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about uh, humility being the beginning of a life transformation of serving God. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, for they will be comforted. We talked about sin, the recognition of sin in our lives and that, re- that uh, godly sorrow brings about a repentance that will not be repented of. And we looked at uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That God, through our transformational process, will bring a meek spirit into us. We will not fight and defend and try to strive over to gathering things of this earth because we have a promise to inherit the earth that is to come. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. At some part... In our transformational period of walking with Christ, there must be a desire for the things of God. To pursue Him in word, to pursue Him in prayer. At some point, a Christian, a new believer, is going to begin to take some initiative and seek out who this God is on their own. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When we attain some righteousness, the righteousness of Christ will flow through our lives. We will show mercy toward those even when they have not shown mercy to us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The smudge of sin in our lives will be removed so that we can see God for who He is and the work that He's doing in our lives. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We talked about that last week. So this week, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Almost said prosecuted. Have you ever seen the prophets prosecuted? I mean, I don't know. My tongue's doing that thing again. There is a blessing that follows those who are being persecuted For righteousness sake. I know blessing doesn't seem to go together with persecution, does it? When somebody's persecuting you, somebody doesn't look in usually and say, You are so blessed. Wow. You go. Nobody ever does that to somebody that's in the middle of persecution. And they're struggling. But the truth of the matter is, is that the word, that Greek word that's translated as blessed, actually talks about happiness, about being happy. Be happy when all these things happen. Be happy. If you are merciful, you'll be shown mercy. There's a happiness in that. If you are pursuing righteousness, do it with joy. There's a happiness in that. Have a pure heart. Did you know you can be happy and have a pure heart? You can't turn on a sitcom today and think that there's any happiness outside of vulgarity jokes and and disgusting behavior. Amen? I can be happy without it. There is a happiness that's being spoken of. But I don't understand when it says that you are blessed when people insult you and people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. When we look at all these things, the natural reaction is not to be happy. But this is the transformation. God's taken what is natural and He's imparting into us something supernatural so that we react to natural things in supernatural ways. (laughs) Jesus was saying in all of this stuff, be happy. Our culture, folks, is one that is, is quickly losing the ability to deal with conflict in a healthy way. We don't know how to deal with conflict in America anymore. We don't know how to deal with uh, war conflict. Amen? We don't know how to deal with personal conflict. Bullying. 
Let's just talk about bullying for a second. Our kids today are bullied. Now, I want to encourage them and let them know that there's been bullies around since, well, Cain and Abel. Right? There's always been bullying. And bullying isn't anything new. Everybody said, we got this bullying problem. We got this bullying problem, Pastor. Well, I was a chubby little curly-headed kid in school. I got bullied a little bit at times, and sometimes I bullied back. Amen? They usually bullied me once. Listen, bullying is, is a problem, yes, and I will admit, our, our culture, the social media, that when I was a kid, if a kid tried bullying me, I could go home and get away from it for the evening. Anymore, you can't get away from it. It's all over the place. I understand the problem with it. But the problem is, is that parents aren't teaching their kids how to respond to bullying properly. When you got kids showing up at schools with guns, people killing themselves because somebody said they didn't like their shirt. Listen, man, God says, even when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, be happy. The problem is, is we've got too many people living in the here and now. And I want to tell our kids, don't think bullies just happen at school and they're just at school. Uh, They happen at workplaces. They happen in communities. uh, They're in homes. They're in all kinds of places. You're always going to have to deal. I'm sorry if there's any little kids in in the room. I know that some people use this as a cuss word, but I tell my child this. There's always going to be stupid people. There's always going to be people that are trying to mess with you. Always going to be people saying things. Don't act like or think that everybody's going to love you or like you. It doesn't matter what you do in your life, even whether you take out the God thing completely. You still are not going to get everybody to like you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. You could conform here and there. Listen, every politician has tried to lie his way to get everybody to like him, and ultimately they don't like him. It's impossible. So find some joy in being a child of God. And when somebody persecutes you for being a child of God, take some joy and peace in it and say, you know what? My hope isn't in in having everybody like me. I wish you'd like me, like I said last week. I wish you'd like me. But if you don't like me, I'm sorry. We're going to have to find a way to find some blessedness and some joy, even when people hate us for our faith. Because I'm going to tell you folks, I'm going to be real honest with you, it doesn't matter what you do, they're not going to like you anyway. Some people are going to love you and some people aren't going to like you. Some people, it doesn't matter what you do to try to get them to like you, they're not going to like you. And if you start compromising your standards, you're in trouble. Amen? I'm fixing to go way off my notes. I know I shouldn't do that. but (laughs) There's two things. There's two things that this is talking about. Being persecuted for, for righteousness, this was my iPad, I promise you. Every time I do that, it's close to the, the receiver. It wasn't the bean dinner last night, I promise. Good gravy. We have beans last night, and then the Connect Group's having a chili cook-off coming up. There's no hope for us, folks. Having all kinds of electrical issues. I'm just going to leave my iPad over there. This, this whole thing about beef. Persecuted for righteousness sake. It's, it's twofold, okay? One is, is that you're, you're going to be persecuted because, because people don't like your righteousness. Okay? This happens. This happened to Jesus. Jesus walking the streets of Jerusalem. People come up to him and they didn't like him because they couldn't find anything wrong with him. 
And then they would test him and throw out questions. They would look at him and say, Oh, teacher, I have a question. The scribes and Pharisees, they would ask him questions about the Sabbath. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? Sabbath, 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 Sabbath. They would ask him about fasting. Why is it that your disciples aren't fasting? We fast here and your disciples should be fasting. They would ask him about marriage. Even the woman caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus' feet to see how he'd react. And all of it was purposeful to try to entrap him and find something wrong in the guy. Listen, there's something that always people are going to look at. If you live in righteousness, you pursue righteousness, God does a transformation in your life, and you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, somebody's going to hate you for it. And they're probably going to look for something in your life that they can pick at until they find something off at and so they can finally feel good about themselves. Some people want to play a church game in hypocrisy so much and live out a life of sin that when they find somebody that's truly living it, they get mad. And they want to find something wrong with them. Happens all the time. Listen, I told them in the first service, I don't, I don't know why, but over the last four years, you know, I've had more people assume bad things about me than I have in my whole life leading up to now. They assume the worst of me because I'm the senior pastor and you can't trust senior pastors. <laughs> Listen to me, man. I, I'm telling you what, folks. There are, I have no hidden agenda on anything in my entire life, but yet I'm not going to lose sleep when somebody doesn't like me because of my righteousness. Amen. I can't. There's, there's too much going on here, and there's too much at stake. In Matthew 10, Jesus spoke about this to the disciples in verses 22 through 26. He says, all men will hate you because of me. Isn't that an encouraging word? <laughs> hey, I'm your friend, but because of it, everybody's going to hate you. <laughs> Let's go play video games. Okay. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Everybody say when. when. It's not an if you're going to be persecuted for righteousness. It's a when you persecuted for righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to hate you. Not everybody hated Jesus, okay? Usually the ones that are the biggest problem in this area are church people. And there's a few angry, angry non-Christians out there, too, that just don't like church people. Well, listen to me. I, I, church people get mad when somebody's living it or they say something. There's always infighting. Stop it. Let people live out their faith in Christ. And I, don't, I don't see it too much here. There's not a whole lot of it here. But I, I've got a lot of friends in the ministry, and I'm sitting there going, are you serious? That happened? Wow. People hating somebody or pulling their kid out of something because something was taught with holiness. Listen, folks, we can't have this. But because we have peace, because we are peacemakers with the plan of bringing about the righteousness of Christ, we are willing to suffer for the message. So don't let persecution catch you off guard. There are times that people are going to hate you for righteousness no matter what. So, so secondly, some are going to hate you for your righteousness. Secondly, we suffer for righteousness, meaning we suffer so that righteousness can be imparted to others. In other words, we suffer a little bit so for the good of somebody else. Jesus did this, and He found joy in it. Hebrews 12, 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What that means is, as we know this in Scripture, it's made very clear that God created man good. Man sinned. 
God is holy, cannot coexist with sin. God's wrath had to be poured out on sin. Jesus Christ came as a mediator, saw the need, went to the cross, appeased God's wrath on sin so that mankind could be forgiven and be relationship with God. We know that. That's very clear. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. Some people say, Pastor Bob, I just don't understand how being nailed to a cross would be a joyful experience. It wasn't the cross that he was joyful about. It was what was on the other side of it. Amen? He says, I will go through the suffering for the sake of their righteousness. Hear what I'm saying. This is the same thing that we see when we hear stories of parents who went through the Great Depression and, and, and children that come up through it and said, I never really saw mom and dad sit down and eat with us. And they didn't realize until afterward it's because mom and dad took what little they had and they fed the kids first and whatever was left they took for themselves. Suffering for the benefit of somebody else. This is our Heavenly Father. This is what He does. Families who have struggled financially and didn't have the means to even put clothes on their kids' backs. And we've heard stories over and over and over how mom and dad made sure the kids had what they need as they continued to wear the same thing year after year. That's love. And that's suffering a little bit for somebody else's blessing. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for us. Folks, and when people curse us and hate us, just swallow it. It's okay. The gospel is of greater reward. Be joyful over what it is that you carry for the sake of other people and quit worrying about yourself so much. I know nobody likes to be made fun of. Nobody likes to be called names. Nobody likes to be mocked. But I'm telling you, if it's because you have lived out your faith in your workplace, in your schools, or wherever it is, in your home, and somebody mocks you and makes fun of you, smile and say, I'm carrying this, and it's hitting a nerve. Lord Jesus, have your way in their life. <laughs> I didn't expect a whole lot of amens. Paul gives his resume like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul says, you want to know my resume that says I am an apostle? I've suffered for it. I've carried it. It's been proven. I haven't given up. I haven't, when things got bad, said, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do it. He said, I've endured. I've gone through some things. Don't look into my life and tell me I, I don't have this or I'm not being effective. The gospel for Paul was as important to him as it was to Jesus. With joy, he talks about and even boasts about his suffering. 
Oh, the things that I've gone through, he says. Look at all of this. This is a definition of a Christian. You want to know what my problem is? Is that today in our church world and westernized culture in America, that's not what it is that defines somebody with great faith. What defines somebody with great faith is they've got a big bank account. If they wear about $800 to $1,000 when they walk out on stage, if they've got a $500 watch and they drove in in about a $75,000 car, this person must have faith. That doesn't sound anything like Paul. Where's the suffering for the gospel? Where's the persecution? If we're only speaking words that look at people and tell them, this is just, I'm just here to edify you and bless you and encourage you and to be happy with you, what, where's the persecution? Where's the definition of the person that's carrying the gospel? Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to hate you. There's a lot of people like me. I get along with a lot of people. But I'm not going to change the truth to make somebody like me. And if they don't like me for the truth, they're just not going to have to like me. It's not me that they hate, it's God. It's just like it was when Samuel was asked to step down and they wanted a king. And God looked at him and said, Samuel, it's not you that they have the problem with, it's me. Folks, we have to realize when somebody persecutes us and they look at us and call us names because of our faith. Because of our faith. That this is why. Now, let me just say this. Don't think, don't leave here today and say, well, i got to find somebody to make them hate me. <laughs> Start making faces and hand gestures and punching people and all that kind of... Listen, if you suffer for that, you deserve to suffer. Okay? This is talking about suffering for righteousness. I've seen people that have even in faith done things, have done horrible things in faith... And they've suffered for it, and they've patted themselves on the back for suffering for righteousness' sake. No, you did not. You suffered because you were stupid. When you're standing on a street corner and you're screaming at people, you're going to burn in hell, and there's no love whatsoever in their life to speak to them with some kind of love. The Word of God tells to speak the truth in hatred and no. Speak the truth in violence, no. Speak the truth through beheading, no. Speak the truth in love. I've learned as a pastor, you can say just about anything in love and people are going to go, oh, okay. You put the pastoral counselor face on. I see, yes. Some of you have probably seen this. <laughs> well, I, what I'm going to say may be kind of hard to hear, but I, I want you to know I love you, okay? From the Word of God standpoint, this is what it says. In You can speak the truth in love. If you suffer for doing it that way, you suffer. But if you come in with a sledgehammer, you deserve somebody to come after you. Amen? Suffer for righteousness' sake. How come I keep saying righteousness' snake? <laughs> We're Pentecostal and people are going to think, where's the snakes? Where's the snakes? This work of the kingdom may bring about suffering, but it is at this point of transformation where we take on the image and attitude of our Savior, and it is where we are able to be most effective for the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, look at it again, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In other words... If you lose your effectiveness, in other words, if you try to be something other than what God created you to be, you are going to be trampled underfoot by men. 
You lose your purpose. Don't lose your purpose by trying to avoid persecution. Do not lose your saltiness. Amen? Do not conform. Do not change. Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is telling them this. Once you get through this transformational process and you're ready to suffer for righteousness' sake, don't you dare, once I change you and transform you and I put you on a platform to be used for my kingdom and for my glory, don't put a shade over what I put inside of you. Why is this so important? Because there are people today that are afraid to speak out for righteousness because they're afraid of being sued. They're afraid of people saying bad things about them. They're afraid their reputations are going to be ruined on on social media and on the news and everything else. People are afraid, even though they have certain beliefs, afraid to stand up for righteousness. And so they get to a platform where they can have great influence, where a lot of people are looking at them. And we all know that when you get to a place where a lot of people look at you, you're going to get a lot of feedback like I said I've had more people doubt me and say things about me in the last four years than I've ever had in my entire life but I'm not going to conform we have to understand folks that wherever God has placed you that's your pedestal that's your lampstand. That's where your high place is. That's where you can shine the best. If it's at your home, if it's at your workplace, if it's at your school, do not put a shade over what God has placed in you out of fear of persecution. You shine. And don't you dare change and lose the effectiveness of your salt, of the salt of the earth, and change your, your makeup because you're afraid that somebody might not, may not like you as you are. If you do that, you're going to be trampled underfoot anyway. If you're going to have a look or appearance of a Christian, if you're going to look like salt but not be salt, then it's not going to, you're going to be trampled anyway. Listen, be salt. Don't change. So what do we gain by all this persecution, Pastor Bob? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's just great to have a conversation with you. You're all so talkative today. What do we gain? We gain the same thing as we did in the beginning. Look at verse 3 there in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Look back at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the... You mean we finish with what we started with? Usually if I get a promotion, I get more money. Usually if I get promoted, I get this. Or usually if I get promoted, this whole final transformation, I get the same thing that I was given in the beginning when I humbled myself. You mean I come to God and I humble myself before Him and He says, I'll give you the kingdom of heaven and yet when I go through all these other processes of being changed and transformed, God now looks at me and says, I'm going to give you the kingdom of heaven? For us, it doesn't seem fair for the saint that is working and changing and and, and allowing himself to be transformed and and they, they get into a point in life where they stand up for the gospel and they're persecuted for their faith. All these things take place and then you say, I get the same blessing that I had in the beginning? Folks, let me encourage you with this thought. It's good enough. (laughs) It's good enough. Either you're committed in the beginning or you're not. Amen? Either you're committed in the beginning of this thing or you're not committed. The truth of the matter is that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything that you could ever dream, anything that you could ever imagine. 
And you say, Pastor Bob, I don't get this. You mean, so everybody, no matter where we're at on our journey, if I'm a new believer and I was to die today, I would get the same thing as Paul the Apostle? Yes. Do you know that the thief on the cross that was next to Jesus got the same thing that Paul the Apostle got? The kingdom of heaven? Do you know that you get the same thing as John the Baptist? Do you know you get the same thing as John who wrote the book of Revelation and the books of... Listen, it doesn't seem right because we come from a world where everything's earned. The kingdom of heaven is a gift. And it's a gift to us when we believe. And it's the same gift that we're willing to suffer for. It just has two different purposes. You want to hear what the purpose is in the beginning? When we believe in the beginning, it's a gift because... Well, let me just do it like this. I put my faith in Christ as a child of God, and I said, Oh, Lord, take me now before I mess it up. Oh, don't act like you've never been there before. And then, a person that goes through this transformation, some righteousness, some mercy, a changed life, they've even suffered for their persecution, then, then the kingdom of heaven is no longer just a, a blessed promise that I get someday. Now, it's a promise of mercy to stop my suffering. So in the beginning, I said, Lord, take me now before I mess it up. Now I'm saying, Lord, take me now. This place is messed up. Our minds change, but it's the same reward. One is a mercy from our sin and our lifestyle of sin, and the other is a mercy from the suffering and the work and the labor that we've experienced for the kingdom of heaven. You say, what in the world are you talking about? There is a parable of it, and I'm going to read it to you. Yes, the whole parable in Matthew chapter 20, quickly, uh, beginning in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven. What is it we're talking about? The kingdom of heaven, that's what we're receiving for our persecution, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Basically, folks, what this is telling us is, is that God looked into mankind and he saw the need that all had. Whether they come early in faith or they come late in faith, the need is still the same. They need a day's wages. They need salvation. They need the kingdom. 
That's what it's pointing to. That's a very elementary version of explaining the scripture. But you have those that carried the load. Those that have had the long, hard life. Those that have suffered persecution. They've been in the heat of the day. They've worked and they show up at the end. They get the same thing that the guy, that every deathbed conversion that I've ever led anybody to, they show up and get the exact same thing that the guy that worked his entire life got. You say, well, that isn't fair. It is fair because God is a generous God. And you didn't know when you put your faith in Him how many days you would have on this earth. And you know that if you would have died right then, you would have gone immediately to the Father. He's generous. Amen? Amen. So whether you're suffering persecution or not suffering persecution, the reward is the same. We get to be in heaven. But let's move on. Verse 12 again. Look at Matthew 5 verse 12. While we don't do this for accolades, he says this, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is a reward in heaven. Not just heaven, but a reward in heaven. What is that reward? To stand there and say, they persecuted me like they did the prophets. There's something to be said, folks, about a faithfulness putting in the time and the effort and the work. Listen, though the thief on the cross and the apostle Paul ha- have the same thing in heaven today, they both have a different testimony. One is all about the grace of God. The other is about the grace and mercy of God, but yet the continuing grace of God to allow him to work and to suffer God's deliverance, God's presence in his life, the healings, the ministry, yada, 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 so on and so forth. There's something to be said about how we run the race. How we worked the day. We have seen the parable before also. I'm about to finish, but we've seen the parable before also where Jesus talked about those that had the talents. And they were given different numbers according to their abilities. And they go out and they were expected to use them. And to the ones, they, they come before the owner and he looks at them and, the, and some uh, receive reward for their work and some receive loss for their work. Folks, there's more to the, just heaven, but what we carry with us, heaven is the greatest thing. The second thing is to be able to come in and to share the testimony and grace of the work that God has done through us and in our lives as we were here today on this earth. Amen? Amen? It doesn't matter what you do. Child of God, let me just tell you this. What matters most is the gospel. And don't you dare try to shield it, cover it, or be afraid because the testimonies of the things that happen today are going to be shared for all eternity to come. As Devin comes, I was, I was in Champaign last night with April, and not last night, this weekend with April and Alyssa. We went to watch a movie and uh, we, we didn't have enough time to eat a good meal because my wife came home too late. Not going to pick on her about it, but... We went to McDonald's, just stopped by, and, and it was a God moment. You ever had a God moment? <laughs> Those moments where you go, God, they're, they're going to think I'm crazy. So I stand there, and I take our food, and I say, oh, I've got to go get drinks. And I go back to get drinks, and there's this precious little African-American woman. I mean, she's all hunched over. She's got her soda thing in the left hand and her money in her hand, and, and she's just inching her way towards the soda machine. And I thought, this is not going to work. I said, ma'am, is there something I can help you with? She goes, no, I got it. I got it. She put her drink up, kept putting soda water in, you know. And she goes, why isn't that the right color? I said, that's the wrong thing, hon. I said, you're pushing it. Here, let me help you. And I said, you want a Coke? She goes, yes, yes. So I push Coke. I get it going. And she goes, well, thank you. And she dropped her money. Her money went everywhere. I said, she started. I went, no, don't do that. I'll get the money. So I'm, I'm getting the money. She goes, The Lord Jesus sent you here to help me. (laughs) 
I said, ma'am, actually, I was just getting ready to ask you if I could pray with you. I said, I saw you coming and I just felt like I needed to pray with you. Is it okay if I pray with you? She goes, oh, yes, I'm Sister Moore and I'm an evangelist. <laughs> She's got her little cane there. And I said, well, let me pray with you. Right there at the soda machine. We didn't even move away. You know how the soda fountain is. People... So we're standing at the soda fountain. I just put my arm around her and I said, Lord, I just want you to bless Sister Moore. God, I want you to heal her body. I want you just to give her a good day. Bless her, your spirit. She's going, yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. She's saying this. And, and right next to her was this, this uh, another African-American lady, bigger woman, walking around us getting her drink on. Yes. Mm. Yes. Jesus. I looked down. I, you know, I love this lady. I mean, she's awesome. She had her bag hanging. I mean, she just was awesome. And I looked down what I'm praying for. And on her left leg, right about here, inside of her stocking was a manila envelope. I'm assuming it was her money or something. Inside the stocking. So the, the pantyhose is like around it and around the leg. And I just, oh, just bless Sister Moore. My first instinct was, is, Lord, I don't want to pray with this woman right here. My first instinct was I wanted to put a shade over it so people didn't think I was crazy. Because you don't go anywhere without somebody knowing you. I walked into that place and there was a guy I knew. He was in there. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Your sister in the hospital? Yeah, she's in the hospital. Hey, hey, hey. And I got to go pray with Sister Moore. <laughs> Here's the thing, folks. Last verse. I'm closing. If you want to live a godly life of obedience, you will be persecuted. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you into places that are going to be uncomfortable and you're going to say and do things, have to say and do things that are going to put you out there and endanger you for being insulted, made fun of, etc. and so on. But he says, find joy in it. And listen to what Tim, uh, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. In fact, everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue. Everybody say continue. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy, just had a baby dedication this morning, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you want to live a godly life, It's not going to flow with this world. Okay? The culture that we live in is going a different direction. And if we are going to live a godly life, we're going to stand out whether we like it or not. And yes, I want to encourage you with this. It will invite opinions. It will invite insults. It will invite attitudes and possibly even threats. But I watched an Iraqi minister just a month or so ago stand up and speak and preach with joy facing death every single day for his faith. I think if we are going to live a godly life here in America, it's doable. And God wants to take this church and take you as individuals, and we're going to pray this here in just a minute, and take us to a place to where we want to live a godly life that is more important to us than our reputation, our popularity, our lives, 
in any way, shape, or form to make sure that we obey the Word of God and that is the number one priority in our lives. Just like we said with this baby dedication up here, that she would be raised up knowing the commandments, knowing the truth of the, God, truth of the Word of God, and knowing that, that when you train them up in the way they should go, that when they're old, they will not t- turn away. They will not depart from it. It's so vital for us to know that there, this thing, this faith we're in, this transformation process that God has us in, is not something we're in and out of every day. This is a continual work, and He is doing something with us. Amen? Stand with me this morning.